Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. Hey, God bless you, everybody. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. And we're your hosts, Matt and Stephanie Garrity. And we're founders of River of Heaven Ministries. And we have a threefold vision to rebuild and restore, equip and empower, and revive and heal. Through these broadcasts, you're going to be touched, rebuilt, and restored, equipped and empowered, and revived and healed. And you're going to be functioning like never before as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. Amen. Great to be with you today for another episode of Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Wow, there's so many amazing things going on as we've entered this new month. The Hebrew month is the month of Kislev, and the month of Kislev really deals with an understanding of where times are getting dark, okay, the days are getting, here here in the Northeast, the days are getting, you know, shortened, and so there's a lot of night, there's a lot of darkness, but in the midst of that darkness, there's an understanding that this is also the month of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is that celebration, the festival of lights, and basically, you know, it speaks of this understanding where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and his followers, he said to them, he said, you are also the light of the world. And so in this month of Kislev, it speaks of a time where things are being revealed by the light of Christ. It speaks of a time where people are invited to understand their, to come out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Because again, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the central focus for all Christianity. If we're not preaching Jesus Christ, if we're not prophesying about Jesus Christ, if we're not singing about Jesus Christ, if we're not evangelizing, leading people to Christ, if we're not pointing in every facet of our ministry, if we're not those facets are not pointing to Christ, then we're missing what it is to live as a Christian. The word Christian has the word Christ in it, and Christ is not Jesus's last name. It means Mashiach, the Hebrew word is. It is the anointed one. He is the anointed one. He is the anointed son of God. We, if we've been born again, are sons or daughters of God, but he is the only begotten son of God. Hallelujah. And so this is a time where many have said over the years, oh, the winter months here in the Northeast, so it's going to be a time of darkness. It's going to be a a cold, hard, dark winter. But as the people of God, we want to subscribe to really what the Hebrew calendar emphasizes. We want to subscribe to this understanding that no, it might be dark, it might be dreary as far as what some people think, but it is a time for the light of Christ to shine like never before. Isaiah chapter 60 talks about this great dichotomy that's going to happen where there's darkness and gross darkness that cover the world, cover the world system. And obviously the God of this world is Satan. Everything regarding Satan is darkness. 
darkness. Everything regarding Satan's kingdom is darkness and the world system and the mammon machine, if you will. But in the kingdom of God, it is light. There is light. Jesus is the light of the world. And Isaiah 60 opens up with saying, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And then it goes on to talk about kings shall come. Dignitaries shall come to the brightness of the rising of the glory of the Lord upon his people. Then sons and daughters shall come from afar off. Really speaking of family and even, I believe, prodigals shall come from afar off. And it also says that the camels shall come. Camels carried goods. Camels carried wealth in the ancient world. And so the Lord says, especially as we continue to see these things unfold, that one thing that is for certain as there's darkness and there's times of wars and rumors of wars and all these different things and people saying it's going to be a dark time, there's so much darkness, emphasis on the darkness. The Lord says, yeah, there's going to be darkness upon the people, upon the world, upon you know what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to bring darkness. However, that is the time that it's time like never before for my church to arise and shine. Arise and shine. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, ecclesia, okay, the called out ones. I will build my church and the gates of hell will never, ever, ever prevail against it. My called out ones. What were they called out of? They were called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. The Hebrew people were called out of Egypt into the place that God had for them. First the wilderness and then the promised land. You and I, as spiritual Israel, if we're born again believers, are called out of our spiritual Egypt and into our spiritual promised land. There is There are principles all throughout scripture, all throughout the old and the new covenant that shows that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, there are different covenants for different times. There are different signs of the covenant. There are different ways that the covenant is ratified. We are currently in the new covenant, amen? And so that was ratified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The old covenant is fulfilled by the life of Jesus Christ. And so what I really want to jump into today is talking about this idea, this understanding of where is our affection? Where have we placed our affection? Where are our eyes focused during this time? And in order to do that, we can really look at you know, many scriptures, but I think the way to do that best is to, is to take a look at the, the meaning of worship, because worship is not just our eyes being someplace, but it's, it's our lives being someplace. Worship, inherently, when we read about worship, we read about the psalmist will talk about worship. Uh, King David oftentimes talks about worship. All these different things have this understanding that worship has to do with giving our all, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. But what's very interesting is the first time the word worship is mentioned, it's actually nothing to do with singing. It's nothing to do with playing musical instruments at all. It's not even anything to do with clapping or shouting or dancing. Many people think that's what the word worship means. It also has nothing to do with the slow songs in a church service. Many people think that's what the word worship means. That's not what it means. The first time the word worship is mentioned in all of scripture is in the book of Genesis chapter 22, where God had made a promise to a man named Abraham. 
And God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you are going to have descendants like you wouldn't believe, Abraham. And so the Lord says, wow, Abraham, I'm going to give you all this. And Abraham's thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. Praise the Lord. Until we look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. Actually, let's go to verse 1. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him to go. Verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And here's, here's the culmination of it. Verse five, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. What is he going to do here? He is going, God told him, here's your test, Abraham. It is the test to see whether you truly love me or not. It is the test to see if you can truly inherit these promises that I've said are going to come to your life or not. Are you really going to be able to handle this, Abraham? I need you to take what you love the most. Remember when I divinely opened your wife, Sarah's womb, Abraham? Remember how she couldn't have children? And I divinely opened her womb, and then she had a child inspired of me. Yeah, that child, Isaac, the one you love the most, I want you to climb up on Mount Moriah. I want you to lay him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice him. And that is the context where we see the word worship mentioned first. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and what? Worship. And we will come back to you. And what does the word worship mean in Hebrew? Is the word shakah. The word shakah means to prostrate oneself with everything that you are to prostrate yourself, is to lay down, is to get low. It is to do whatever you can to acknowledge that you are paying homage to someone or something. And in this case, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Christian Bible, the word shaka means worship of Yahweh, worshiping the living God, worshiping Jehovah. So, Worship over the years has taken on various meanings, hasn't it? Worship has taken on, wow, that was a great worship song. Wow, that was a great service. The praise and worship was great. But worship in its purest empirical form has to do with prostrating oneself, bowing down, surrendering, really. And that is exactly, it's what I call the worship test or the lordship test. That's what Abraham was going through. Abraham really wasn't saying or or could testify that he was, that God was Lord in his life until what? Until he laid everything on that altar. He laid everything that he loved, the thing that he loved the most. His desire was to have someone that could carry on the family name. And he didn't have that. His wife was barren. All these situations, circumstances surrounded him. Okay, he was in Ur of the Chaldees. His father and his mother, his family, Abraham's family, were idolaters. And God calls him out of his own house, calls him to a place that God would show him. God didn't tell him where that was originally. And then God proceeds to give him direction after direction. And Abraham, 
All he can do is believe by faith or choose not to believe, and that would be not being in faith. And so he gets to this place now where he's walking up the mountain. His son is carrying the wood, which is a picture of Jesus Christ carrying the wood of the cross. And the picture of Father Abraham and the son, uh, we remember, you know, in, in the New Testament, the Bible says that it was the father who was pleased to pierce the son. So we know that this is a picture of father and son. This is a picture of a son who's going to die upon a mountain later on, okay, that's being foreshadowed here, that on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. We're seeing this, this shadow and type, this test that this man of God is going through to see, do you really worship me, Abraham? Do you really love me, Abraham? If you truly worship me, Abraham, you'll lay down everything on that altar. And what was representative of everything about Abraham's life? Everything he loved was wrapped up in one thing or one individual, and that was Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac. He loved Isaac so much in Hebrew culture that fathers love their sons. And I, I think sometimes in our day and age, we've kind of gotten away from some of those ancient cultures, how, how close-knit the families were, how much the fathers trained their sons and loved their sons. I mean, we still do that these days, but I think we could step up a level. Abraham loved his son, Isaac. Many scriptures talk about how the closeness of Abraham and his son, Isaac, uh, even regarding Abraham sending his servant to go and to seek a good wife for him, to try to help to set him up in life the right way, to, to set him up with someone that was going to be a, a godly woman. He looked out for his son. He loved his son dearly. We see that many times in, in the book of Genesis over and over again. And here, the son he loved so much, God says, I want you to sacrifice him, Abraham. Your one and only son, your wife couldn't have children. Now you have a child based upon your own biological doing, inspired by the leading of God, the desires of Abraham's heart, all coming to pass. And here's the question. Will you truly worship me, Abraham? Will you lay that all down on the altar? Will you worship me? Will you shaka? Will you prostrate yourself? Will you surrender everything? Because Abraham, all those things I promised you, about your descendants being as numerous as the sand and the seashore and the stars, the sky, which deals with natural Israel, the natural Jewish people, which represents the terrestrial, the sand, and then the, the stars, which re represent the spiritual Jewish people, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, in order to be the father of many nations that I've called you to be, you need to pass this test. In order to walk in the fullness of what I've called you to do, Abraham, Remember, I changed your name, Abraham. Your name was Abram, exalted father, but your destiny is to be the father of many nations. In order to be able to walk in this, Abraham, the right way, you need to pass this worship test. You need to pass this worship test. You need to lay down everything on that altar. Have you ever been there, beloved? Have you ever been in a situation where you've told God, I worship you, Lord. Oh, I love you so much, Lord. But then the Lord said, are you willing to put everything on the altar? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. You know, maybe it's an opportunity. And the Lord says to you, do you love me? Will you worship me? And, and oftentimes we, we have to pass the same worship and lordship test. God says, if I'm really a Lord, you'll lay down those things in your life to find out whether it's my will for you to have them or not. If you really love me, you'll surrender. You'll worship me.
worship me. In, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and who is a picture of really the church, the church, all nations, the plan for all nations that God has, not just the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, the plan is really revealed for the Jewish people. But in the New Testament, the woman at the well in John chapter 4 symbolizes God's plan for all nations. And of course, that is emphasized other places, but is very strongly emphasized in John chapter 4. Why do we know that? Because Jesus meets this Samaritan woman. The Jews had nothing really to do with Samaritans in the natural sense, but there was this woman and she began to talk to Jesus and talk to him about, we worship on this mountain and you Jews worship what you know and we Samaritans worship what we don't know. And Jesus stops her in John chapter four and says, yeah, that may be true right now. He said, but there is a time coming and now is even right now as I'm standing in your midst when true worshipers will worship the father in what? In spirit and in truth. What was Jesus saying to the woman? He's saying that worship doesn't have to do what, what, what we have emphasized so much with singing and playing and you know dancing and all these things. These are expressions of worship. But worship in its simplest form is this. It is to give everything. It is to surrender everything, to lay down everything on the altar. Again, Jesus's words, to worship the Father in spirit and truth. How do we worship the Father in spirit and truth? We worship the Father with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. That is also referred to what the Jews call the Shema or the Shema. It is the, one of the main prayers that the Jewish people pray. Behold Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Again, loving the Lord, worshiping him. It all has to do with surrender. It all has to do with laying down everything in my life not my will, not my kingdom, but thy will, but thy kingdom. And the greatest test of this was when Jesus was in a garden. And here comes the temptation. Here comes the temptation. He was tempted in all ways we were tempted, yet without sin. And here's the temptation because he realizes I have to face the cross. And what is Jesus's prayer in the garden? It is, Father, I'll drink this cup. Lord, I'll let this cup pass from me. I'll drink it if I need to, but let it pass from me. If there be another way, Father, let it pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Nevertheless, I love you, Father. Nevertheless, I, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to surrender everything. I'm going to lay everything down in order to what? To fulfill your will, Father. To fulfill your will. The greatest example of worship is an obedient heart to the Lord. Remember, God desires obedience over sacrifice. Everyone wants to sacrifice this and sacrifice that. We see sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament, but the Lord says that he desires obedience. And what is obedience? Obedience is, can you lay down everything? Can you lay down everything? Do you really worship God? And then watch this for all the worship leaders out there and all the singers and all the musicians and things like that, dancers and those who are inclined that way. Out of that shaka, out of that heart of surrender, out of that desire and that laying down of everything on the altar and saying, Lord, I only want what you want me to have. Lord, if it's not of you, then kill it on that altar. Out of all that, then watch this is an expression of that. Then you can express songs and hymns 
and music and dancing. See, our expressions of worship can be what we consider quote-unquote worship, but true worship is the posture of one's life before the Lord. And if you will posture your life surrendering all, if you will lay down everything, not only will you pass the Lordship test and the worship test, but beloved, you will be able to inherit all that God has for you. Remember, in the story of Abraham, he did pass that test. It says, Genesis chapter 22, verse 6, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac was not an ignorant individual. He understood things are not working out here in his mind. I don't understand. Where's the sacrifice, father? I trust you. I love you, father. And Abraham said, "My, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb, the lamb, not a lamb. God himself will provide for himself the lamb for an offering. So the two of them went together and then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, see that you do not do that. Do not lay a hand on your son. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so we know that it is a prophetic foreshadowing of what would go on on a mountain Years and years and years in the future of where Abraham was, where the father would indeed allow the son, the lamb, his lamb to be slain upon that mountain. On the mountain of the Lord, it would be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, that was what the altar was called. God will provide. And I'll tell you, everything flows out of a place of true worship. Everything flows out of a place of, of I will lay down everything, even what I love the most, I will lay it down. I will lay it down for you because I love you. I will lay it down for you, Lord, because you're worthy of it. I will lay it down for you, Lord, because I truly worship you. I worship you. Father, I pray for everyone who's listening today, Lord, that all of us, Lord, that would have an understanding more than ever before, Lord, that there would be such a desire to worship you in spirit and truth, not just to express worship, but Lord, to de- desire to know what worship is, to lay before you, to prostrate our life before you. In every area of our life, oh God, that we would surrender to you completely and fully so that we would know what is your desire for us to have and what is your desire for us not to have. And then out of that place comes music, comes songs, comes hymns, comes spiritual songs, comes artistic design, all these expressions of worship out of true hearts of worship. I thank you for all these things, O God. And above all, we thank you for you. 
I pray this has really touched you, ministered to your life today, and helped you to understand what it is to be a true worshiper, to worship the Father in spirit and truth, for those indeed are the worshipers that the Father seeks after. So God bless you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. And may He Himself give you His peace. May you realize more than ever before that you are a worshiper. That you are one who bows down their life, surrenders all to the Lord, and beauty flows out of that place everywhere you go. Until next time. If you'd like to connect with us, you can go to our website at www.riverofheaven.org. River of Heaven Ministries is advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through various means. In James 1.27, Scripture teaches us to care for the widows and the orphans. We take this seriously and are actively involved in supporting widows and others in need on a monthly basis. Together, we can do more. Additionally, our radio broadcasts and podcasts reach all nations, touching lives worldwide. Daily, new listeners hear the gospel, and through these broadcasts and podcasts, millions have an opportunity to repent, believe, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listeners also learn about powerful Tabernacle of David principles through our teaching encouraging all to worship the Father in spirit and in truth with great passion and purity. Your financial gift of any amount will help us to continue to support those in need and allow us to launch high-quality recorded radio broadcasts, podcasts, and teaching that are available for free to anyone who has internet access. With your prayers and financial support, we will continue to reach millions in our generation and multiplied millions in generations to come. Thank you for partnering with us.